Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Well, if you can stand with me today, we'll turn to the word of the Lord this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter number four, Ephesians chapter number four, and uh, we'll be looking at God's word also uh, coming up, of course, in the month of March, March the 5th, I believe it is, I'll probably look at my phone here quick and tell you, but on March the 5th is our uh, world uh, missions commitment service. Uh, that we have each year that uh, trickles down to us from uh, the national, the assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ of a day to readjust for supporting our missionaries for yet another year. And so that opportunity is coming up on March the 5th. And I have a call out to someone and they're checking on some availability of coming a guest uh, to come minister that. And so if that's the case, then we'll have back to back uh, guest with us, Moses is one weekend and then the next weekend uh, guest for the World Missions Commitment Service and so uh, I'll tell you who as soon as that is confirmed but Pastor Moses is confirmed but I'll tell you who for that as soon as that uh, becomes confirmed. Ephesians chapter number 4 and we're going to read just a couple verses of scripture uh, uh, on Wednesday nights whenever we do uh, connect groups and then we've also done our, our Wednesday night Bible study uh, last time that we had connect groups and we closed it down I put out papers that I put out before of interest of uh, that people might have and perhaps per se in a book or in a character that they'd like to learn more about or topic that they would like to learn more about and Esther kind of uh, came up out of the ashes with uh, the interest of people whenever we did the book of Esther there was another interest of a topic that of course, we, you stay around church any period of time, you're going to hear some topics over and over, and you should. Uh, we are creatures, we learn by repetition, and uh, God would have told Moses to rehearse it in their ears if you're not supposed to just talk about it once and be done with it. You talk about it over and over. And so there was a subject matter that came up that I'm going to uh, approach again today, and that was the subject matter of forgiveness. The subject matter of forgiveness that some were interested in. And so this is something that touches all of our lives bar none there's nobody that's unimpacted uh, or or uh, you know doesn't contend with uh, forgiveness or even maybe withholding forgiveness at some point in time in your life and so this touches all humanity it, it doesn't just touch christian people it touches non-christian people it doesn't matter who you are this subject matter touches and so uh, for the next few weeks i'm going to look at this again there may be some things i'll repeat because they're biblical truths that bear repeating but we're going to look at it again for the next few weeks about making sense out of forgiveness and so this morning though in particular I want to talk about bitterness and forgiveness bitterness and forgiveness and a springboard that I oftentimes jump from or one like it that's also found in Colossians here in Ephesians 4 verse 31 the Bible says let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you all right so there's a lot of different words up there in verse 31 with uh, the concept and the idea of bitterness and then we see some of the kindness and tender hardness that's wrapped around and, and, and pushed together with forgiveness in verse 32. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about bitterness and forgiveness. We have plenty of scripture to touch. Amen. Brother Mason probably knows that. And so here we are. Amen. Today in God's word. Father, we need you today. God, we need a fresh touch, Lord, of your spirit upon our lives. God, for we know, Lord, that each one of us face times, God, that we are challenged in the place of forgiveness. God, when things take place, offenses happen, whether we are, Lord, on the receiving end or whether we are on the giving end, Lord, God, of that offense, Lord, forgiveness, Lord, must take place, Lord Jesus, in those scenarios. God, some not so severe, others, Lord, dramatically severe in our lives. I pray, oh God, help us 
today as we learn of your word that it would find a place, Lord, in our lives and to not only be placed there but play out in our lives. And we'll thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. So again, within these two two verses, very simple, there are really two main topics or two main terms or concepts that are contrasting one to the other. One, of course, is bitterness, and the other is forgiveness. And the other terms that are mentioned in verse 31 of our text today really provides the setting or the environment or the conditions of bitterness. What I'm saying is this, is that bitterness is comfortable among wrath and anger. It's comfortable among evil speaking and malice. Not only is it comfortable, it may also be a, a promoter of evil speaking. If you have bitterness in your heart, it, it may promote wrath and anger or malice in your life. And so, on the other hand, in verse 32, we have things like kindness to one another and we're admonished to be tender-hearted. And with all of this, these things are the backdrop for forgiveness. And so, and I say this, and please note, I'm, I'm saying typically, not customarily. It's not to say that there isn't an exception to the rule, but uh, forgiveness isn't typically found among cruelty. Not, not typically. It happens, hopefully, it will eventually happen and take place, but it's not typically found there. But nor do you necessarily find bitterness among, you know, people that are just all the time compassionate and, and, and kind and tenderhearted and things of that nature. And so they have environments in which they exist, bitterness and forgiveness. They have environments in which they, a, they, they, they grow and they prosper. If you want, you want to talk about bitterness prospering, but in which they, they have ways in which they function and there are certain environments that's displayed right here in verse 31 and 32 that picture the environments in which they prosper. We, we, assume, we assume that unforgiveness would be contrasted with forgiveness this morning. You know, you're, you're saying, Brother McGee, this morning, bitterness and un, or forgiveness. Why aren't you talking about unforgiveness and bitterness? Well, the reason why is because the word unforgiveness, the literal word, isn't found anywhere in the Bible. The word unforgiveness, the, the, the concept is found, but the literal word is not found anywhere in the Bible. But in many regards, from what you study from Scripture, bitterness which bitter and bitterness, that word is found in the Bible, it is in many regards the biblical word for unforgiveness. It is the biblical word for unforgiveness or at least an unwillingness to forgive. Bitterness comes, and throw a little language here at you, and I'm not talking about cussing either. Bitterness comes from the Greek word pikra, from which our English term Picric acid comes. Picric acid is a compound that is an explosive compound. And that's the way in which that, that compound or that acid is typically used for the purpose of explosion. And so when we look at all these other terms in verse number 31 of wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice, all of these things feed into bitterness or at least they are even offshoots are produced by bitterness. And so anytime I say bitterness this morning, think unforgiveness because bitterness is the biblical word for unforgiveness. And so all, they, are the, they are the offshoots and the production of unforgiveness or bitterness. And so here are just a few general definitions of the terms used in verse 31 so that we can get our bearings here. When the Bible speaks about wrath, definition, not according to Webster, but according to the Greek word that's used, wrath is a welling up of the whole inner spirit of man. Have you ever felt that in your life? <laughs> when just the whole insides are just whoosh. Feels like all the mercury went to the top of the thermometer. That welling up of the whole inner man, wrath. Anger is very similar to wrath. It's very near of kin to wrath, yet it's a little bit more, uh, not, not as uh, much as the welling up. It's more of a settling, a brooding, a, a burning of the hot coals, so to speak, you know, uh, anger. And then whenever we look at clamor in the, the Greek definitions, clamor denotes the yelling tones, the yelling tones or noise that accompanies 
uh, anger and wrath, the verbal expressions of excessive wrath and anger of those noisy yelling tongues, the, the elevated voice, right? Uh, not your speaking voice. The ones that when someone looks at you and says, are you raising your voice at me? Clamor. Liam Straw said, clamor is the cry of one's passions in railing against others while asserting one's rights. In other words, no, 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 I'm right, you're wrong. That's clamor, that noise, those yelling tones. Evil speaking denoted in verse 31 references then the hurtful words, hurtful words that we use toward the reputation of another. Might even be slanderous, meaning they're really not founded in truth. They could be opinion. <laughs> they, 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 could be, they could be the way that we see things and maybe not the way that things really are. But it's evil speaking. It's hurtful words used toward their reputation. Then there's malice. I already feel like, man, I'm walking through quagmire here. Then there's malice in verse 31 as well. That's in the cesspool of ingredients that feed into bitterness or even is produced by bitterness or unforgiveness. Malice is a wicked desire for others. Malice plots and thinks of ways that it could hurt someone else. Or let's say it in terms that we probably all understand. Malice is that contraption inside of us that concept of wanting to get even oh we can identify with that then right wanting to get even malice is all these things can stem from if not only also feed into bitterness come from unforgiveness and feed into unforgiveness someone said that a bitter or an unforgiving person has a chip on both shoulders <laughs> has a chip on both shoulders because with all these things together Malice and wrath and anger and evil speaking and bitterness. That is a very volatile environment. A very volatile environment. Paul admonishes the church of Ephesus that all these things leading with, of course, the first that he mentions is bitterness or unforgiveness. All these things, they need to be removed. That's what he tells us, right? He tells us that they need to be put off or they need to be put away from ourselves they need to be removed preachers preachers often joke about this i've joked about it several times amen through my ministry we talk about the word all in the old testament or new testament saying well you know what the hebrew word for all is don't you all you know you know what the hebrew word for greek or the greek word for all is don't you all and you know what it means all but seriously this morning truly the all here the greek word for all means this all without exception every form of in other words yeah we need to get rid of wrath and, and anger and, and bitterness and, and and slander and and malice we need to get rid of them but we need to get rid of all of them without exception it's not as though we displace wrath and anger over here and we'll keep a little bit of our malice no 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 he says you need to get rid of all of them without exception and in any form right because we already know anger is, is is a manifestation it manifests in wrath and it can manifest in a lot of other things but you need to get rid of it in every form as well he says you need to put that away you need to put it off from you and he uses a, a preposition in the greek language that the putting off is to be a putting very far away you know i can put off my coat boom accomplished it i put it off but in case that's the way that we do our bitterness and our anger and our wrath, he used a preposition there that means we need to put it off, meaning very far away. Might I even say, you know, we want to put it off so that we can't get back to it. We want to put it off in such a way that it's not easily to pick back up. Because people do that with unforgiveness. They put it off to pick it up. They put it off to pick it up. Anger and wrath, malice, all those things. They put it off, they pick it up. And I'm not talking about even over different issues, sometimes over the very same issue. They lay it down, they pick it up. And he says, you want to put it off, you want to put it very far away. And so any of these things in the list, again, they feed off the other. 
Anger is going to feed off malice. Malice is going to feed off, you know, it's going to feed off evil speaking. They're, 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 all, they're all in co- cohorts together. They're, they're all feeding off of one another. They see that, and, and, and if we arbor malice, if we're wanting to get even, man, that might stoke the flame then, you know, uh, wrath and clamor, and then we get aggravated and our voice gets elevated and uh, so on and so forth. And so all without exception in every form, they must be put far, very far away from us, according to the Apostle Paul. Warren Wiersbe said this. Warren Wiersbe said, an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. And before long, it becomes the Christian's battleground. And this is made clear, I believe, in the book of Corinthians in your New Testament. We quote the verse. We oftentimes have done this. I have done this. We quote the verse about, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And we paint with a very broad brush just all of his devices. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And we say it really a little bit out of the context in which it was spoken originally because the devices that Paul is referring to were not just generic devices. The devices that Paul is referring to, again, he's not painting with a, a broad brush. Let's look at the scripture in which this is found. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 10. Notice the setting in which this is found. Paul says to the church at Corinth, to whom ye forgive, and this is kind of wordy, but to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. He's basically saying if any forgiveness is going to take place, it's going to be because Christ has enabled us us to be forgivers because he's forgiven us. All right? And so in that we go then to verse 11 He's talking about all this forgiveness thing, and then he says, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, if you backtrack back up, even in verse number 7, 2 Corinthians 2, 7, I don't have it up there, but even in verse number 7, Paul is telling the church that they ought to forgive an individual whom, whom punishment had likely already visited. He said, you should forgive them. And then in verse 10, he continues with this theme and this mindset of forgiveness and that we, if I've ever forgave anybody, it's because I've been forgiven by Christ. I have been forgiven. So there's this whole idea of forgiveness, why we should forgive. And he says, why should we? Lest Satan should take advantage of us so we are not ignorant of his Devices. What are you talking about? I'm telling you what the devices is in this particular context of Satan is. It's that we would arbor a spirit of unforgiveness. That's what it's relating to. That we would arbor a spirit of bitterness and all those other accompanying things that Paul spoke to the Ephesian church about in verse 31 of anger and, and wrath and evil speaking and malice. Those are his devices that we would not forgive. We would withhold forgiveness from somebody when we have been so benefited by the forgiveness from God. And so these things Paul is speaking of back, back into Ephesians. So we're going to do a little jumping today. But back in Ephesians, the things that Paul is speaking about to the Ephesian church, I want you to understand he's talking to them about these things and look what the context he is speaking to them about those things of bitterness and forgiveness. He's talking to them mainly in Ephesians 4. That's where our text is found. When you read through it, he's talking to them about, he admonishes them to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He talks to them later on in like verse number 16. It's where he's talking about that this, this body, this church, uh, this bride of Christ is a body of Christ. And a uh, bishop or someone related to it, I think maybe this past uh, Sunday, how every joint supplieth, every joint supplieth that which is necessary to the growth and the increase and the edification of the body. That's everything that Paul's talking about. Unity. He's talking about connectivity among the people. So why are you talking about bitterness and unforgiveness? Well... It's hard to have unity. And it's hard to have connectivity. I might even say it's impossible when there's unforgiveness. When there's unforgiveness, when there's bitterness, when you're more so, you're more so in the mode of trying to figure out how to get even rather than how to join ranks. Amen. 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 And so Paul points us then to forgiveness rather than bitterness. Why? Because forgiveness 
encourages unity. Forgiveness encourages connectivity of the body. Look what the scripture says in Hebrews 12 and verse number 15. The Bible says, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root, everybody say root, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. What did Paul say in Ephesians? He says all this malice and bitterness, all this, he says put it away, right? Uh, uh, without exception of every form, far away. Why? Because if you've just cut even bitterness off at the surface and you left the root, he says even the root of bitterness can spring back up. Huh? You, 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 can't, you can't leave anything undone. You need a... You need a Brother Fred knows we have, there's certain, there's certain types of weeds that are out there in our landscaping that you can't just rip the heads off and say, be done with it. There are certain ones out there that the seed of multiplication is on the root. The seed of multiplication is on the root. So you can tear the head off that thing all you want. It looks good. Oh, God help me. It looks good. It looks as though we got, took care of the problem. But you know what? There are going to be two or three more sprigs because the seed is on the root of the weed. And it's going to spring up again. So we, we got to handle those things out there in such a manner. We got to pinch very low. And when we pull, pull straight up so that those roots come up with the little green weed on top and then cast that away. And you're probably going to save yourself at least for a few months. Amen. From growing up right in the same spot because you took care of the root of the matter. Right? And so Paul's telling us, you've got to take care of all this malice and all this bitterness. You've got to not, don't just do it on the surface just so it looks good to everybody else. You, sometimes you've got to dig down. Sometimes you've got to dig down where the seed of bitterness is. And you've got to pull that thing out and you've got to pluck that thing up because you don't want that springing up again to trouble you because it isn't just going to trouble you. Huh? Bitterness it's hard to be around a person full of malice that always has the get even mentality. It's hard to stomach. It's hard to be around somebody the only tone they know is a tone of yelling. Amen. He says we need to get, we got to eliminate these of every form. Cut them off, not just the surface. Get the root out of there as well because we don't want these things springing up and defiling. Furthermore, furthermore, the Bible, the Bible even links bitterness with being in bondage of sin. Wow. It links bitterness or unforgiveness being even linked with the bondage of sin. Paul was speaking to Simon the sorcerer thinking that the laying on of hands that he could somehow get this Holy Ghost and being a sorcerer that he was through the laying on of hands, he could purchase it and he could do these things. And uh, he was thinking all these things. His thinking was, of course, grandly incorrect. But the Bible says in Acts 8.23, Paul says to Simon, he says, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. He links the two together, his bitterness and being in bondage to iniquity. You don't want to arbor a spirit of unforgiveness Okay, that's the device of Satan. But when you do that, that causes a wedge between you and other people and you and your God. And my, my, my study of God's word has taught me this. Anything that separates you from God is labeled as sin. Whatever separate, because that's the story from the, New, from the Old Testament first story onward. Sin is a separator. And so if you find something that separates you from him, then you could probably label that thing iniquity, transgression. Amen, because it's keeping you, therefore, from him. And so dangerous trap here in the scripture, a dangerous trap is to arbor feelings of unforgiveness or have an unforgiving spirit. And yet we all know we've been there. At some place, some time, for some offense, we have all been there it's an easy trap an easy snare to fall into and it is so or the apostle paul wouldn't spend time if it wasn't easy to fall into for anybody even the church he's talking to the church in ephesians then he wouldn't have spent the time to talk about it if there's instruction for it 
then it means that we are prey to it. Huh? I know sometimes we want to mark off a lot of, oh, that's not me, that's me. If there's instruction for it, humanity is prey to it, even you if you think you're not. We all are. Me as a pastor, even I think I'm not, or there wouldn't be the instruction or the teaching for it. Robert Jeffress once said, he said, some of the most, his words not mine, some of the most unforgiving people you'll ever encounter are those who occupy a pew. And this becomes the case because church people tend to forget the pit that they were pulled from. We forget that God's grace has positioned us where we are instead of our goodness. God's grace. Because, listen, after serving the Lord for years and you serve the Lord for 10, 15, 20 years, for so many years, a person can begin to slip into the falsehood of believing that they deserve to be here. There was a man's mom. His mother was diagnosed with colon cancer and uh, she was told that she only had about four months to live. And a news station gathered word of this because her uh, mentality and, and, and uh, her outlook on the situation was very positive. And they were kind of floored by receiving the news of only four months to live. You would be, you know, so positive. So they wanted to go investigate. And they went to interview her to ask her how she was, how she was dealing so well with the news that she had received. And they asked her this question, Brother Fred. They asked her, how does it feel to, how does it feel to know you are terminal? How does it feel to know that you are terminal? And her reply is just tremendous. She said, the truth is, sir, we all are terminal. The only difference is some realize it and some don't. What she's getting at was this. We're all going to die. That's what she was getting at. And that harmonizes, and what she's saying in that, we're all going to die. Just some of us really take ownership of it, and others just live life as though it will never take place or happen. And that harmonizes real well with the story of Luke chapter number 7, where the Bible describes, and I'm not going to read it, we could, but in Luke 7, it describes the story of Jesus being at Simon the Pharisee's house. He's come in there to, to join in meal with him, and there's come a woman uh, notably a sinner woman, uh, Scripture tells us in the Harmony of the Gospels, that comes in and, and she kisses the feet of Jesus and she, she kisses Jesus rather and she, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and she, she just, just is very mindful of the Lord and she's so attentive to him, being the lady that she is, primarily because she understands she needs his forgiveness. She's very mindful of him and attentive to him. Whereas on the other hand, Simon the Pharisee, who's supposed to be a godly man, supposed to be the host of this meal, had invited the Lord to this place to sup with him, that whenever Jesus showed up, Simon, according to the scripture, did not do anything that even a typical host would do. He didn't provide water for his feet, did not give the Lord any attention or any care what would typically be done unto him. And, and the moral of the story is this, is because this sinner woman understood her need of forgiveness. But Simon, being the quote-unquote godly man that he was, denied that he needed it. So one's attentive and the other's not attentive, all by how they view themselves. In need or not in need of it. But here's the fact of the matter that I want to get straight, and I don't know if I'll get it done today, before we leave here is this. We all need forgiveness because we're all terminal. We all need forgiveness. Paul said to be kind, back in Ephesians 4.32, he said, be kind and tender, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so the pattern for forgiveness is found here in this verse and in others, but the pattern for forgiveness is found in the phrase or the two words, even as. Forgive one another even as as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We're to forgive even as God forgave us. Therefore, therefore, the forgiven can forgive because God has taught us through the forgiveness he's extended to us. 
how to forgive. And yet we say that, and please don't misunderstand me, and we'll try to unravel all this in the next few weeks if we don't get it totally unraveled today. So if you're leaving hanging just a little bit, just trust me, okay? Trust the word rather, not me. But forgiving is not just a Christian act. Every day, non-Christians practice forgiveness toward others that have wronged them and have done them wrong. And the reason being is because all of humanity needed forgiveness. And when Christ did his work on the cross, it was extended to all. Although all may have not received it yet, it was extended to all. All right? Just stay with me here for a little bit. Because the work of Christ extends forgiveness to mankind. Right? The death, the burial, the resurrection, particularly the death, amen, the shedding of blood, for the purpose of forgiveness. And so it would seem the reason as Christians that have received the forgiveness that's been extended to us by Christ, that we've re- actually received it, that we should be apt to forgive for a few different reasons. All right? So just track here with me just for a moment. It's because forgiven people, people that are forgiven have accepted the forgiveness of God for their lives, forgiven people understand their guilt. And what I mean by that is this. Whenever you came to the Lord, whenever you came to an altar of prayer, wherever it may have been, in your home, in a pew, up here, whenever you came to the Lord for forgiveness of sins, you know what that did? That forced you to admit you had failures. You had sins that needed forgiven. You had some wrongs and some things that were not quite up to snuff that needed his attention. And so you admitted your failure when you came to for the forgiveness of God. You admitted your failure through your confession to the Lord. You admitted your failure through your repentance unto the Lord. Amen. In order to do this. And so as forgiven people, we understand our own guilt because we presented that before the Lord. I've messed up. I was born into this condition and up to this moment in time, I've lived in this condition. We've we've accepted the guilt, the shame. We've accepted that with the Lord. So it should be able to to shift dynamics that if we can accept our guilt with him, will we take responsibility for our guilt when we have wrong between us and another individual? The Bible says in Romans 3 and verse 19, look at it. Now we know that that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Which was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the Old Testament law. The purpose of the law still yet today is for the purpose of us, the world. No one, no one exempted from this. That we would become guilty before God. That we would own our guilt. At one time, all the world knew was law. All right? And as a result of that law, mankind is guilty before God. So what do we need? We need forgiveness. And so our guilt of our wrongs lead us to the grace of his forgiveness. The Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 23, But before faith came, before that grace came, before there was the death, burial, and resurrection, before that moment in time, we were kept under the law. We were kept in that guilty, if you will, state before God shut up into the faith which should afterwards be revealed. And so once Christ died on the cross and there was the possibility of grace and the possibility of forgiveness, we all remain in that guilty state. Still yet today, people are in the guilty state because they have not, they have not uh, uh, afforded themselves the grace of God in their life. They've not accepted the forgiveness of God in their life. Christians, we should forgive because we also understand the need for intervention. Meaning this, we need somebody to intervene because whenever we came to this world as sinners, we've offended God. We've offended God. Amen. As sinners, we have offended God. And so what we need, we don't need, we don't need necessarily, and please don't mistake me here this morning, but we don't need an apology to forgive another person. Intervention always is required, it seems, by the person that's been 
offended. The one that's been wronged. Intervention, it seems, always has to come from them. Why? Because they're the ones that have to forgive. Mm -hmm. You've been wronged, Sarah, by me. The intervention that I need, then for my guilt of wronging you, is you to put forth the palm branch of forgiveness for me, which feels so unfair because you're the one that was done wrong. But that is the story between us and Christ Jesus. We were the ones that wronged him and offended him, yet he's the one that's extending the grace and the forgiveness in order to bring any hopes of reconciliation between God and between man. So as Christians, understanding that, we should understand then that that forgiveness then, Christians should be able to forgive because we understand there has to be an intervention. And the intervention usually doesn't come, will not come from the one that did the wrong. It'll be coming from the one who was wronged. And so despite what we may think, God has always taken the first step. He's the, wrong, he's the one that was wronged. But he's always taken the first step. Just as John said, I love him because what? He, he always takes the first step. He intervenes whenever I have offended him as mankind with my sin. And the only reason there is power this morning in our repentance, in your repentance, is because there was humility in the Lord's death on a cross. The Bible says if Colossians 1 and verse 14, look at this now. In whom, speaking of Christ, we have redemption by what? Through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. So what scripture is telling us that through his blood we have both redemption and forgiveness of sins through his blood. That blood though had to be shed that happened at Calvary, that happened through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only reason that our repentance has any validity to it is because shed blood had already occurred. Amen. What? He intervened first. Woo! But since blood has been shed and he did intervene and he has extended grace, every individual that comes to an altar of prayer and confesses their guilt... Huh? Confesses and repents. Guess what? That blood that's already there waiting available. Boom. Amen. Takes care of whatever is needful in their life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ, like my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What's happening here? God was in Christ. God was intervening through the man Christ Jesus. To it that God was in Christ, what? Reconciling, right? Healing, mending, reconciling the world to himself. Listen, reconciliation, and we'll talk about this later. Reconciliation doesn't always happen after forgiveness, but mark this well. Reconciliation cannot happen unless there is forgiveness. I mean, there's some horrendous things that people have been offended with in this world that, mind you, they can forgive that individual, but they may never be reconciled with that individual because it may have just been so putrid. Sexual abuse, physical abuse, they may never get reconciled, but they can still forgive. But if the aim is reconciliation, it'll never take place unless you forgive. And so Christ is saying, I'm going to reconcile the world to myself, but that can happen. The only way it can happen is through Christ. What of Christ? His blood. Because his blood redeems and his blood forgives sins. And as a result of forgiveness, reconciliation could happen between God and man. That was broken eons of time before. But as Christians with that understanding, then we understand there's got to be intervention in our qualms with each other. And many times the offended party has to forgive in order for there to be a reconciliation in a relationship. Look, in verse 19 there, 2 Corinthians 5, God did not 
impute their trespasses unto them. They had trespasses. They had transgressions, iniquities, sins, and all those other things, all the other synonyms for it. They had all that, but he did not impute. Impute is an accounting. It's an accounting word that's used in the Greek. Talking, about, He didn't put that on their account. He didn't put their sin on their account. He didn't put their, what was absolutely notified, amen, couldn't deny it, their transgression. He did not put that, though, on their account. He did not leave their offense on their account, but he forgave them by Christ's blood and thereby sought to reconcile with them. As a matter of fact, you'll read later in Scripture, it might be verse 20 and verse 21. He didn't impute their transgressions to them, but he imputed that what he did put on their account was his righteousness. And so there's a divine exchange that takes here in Scripture. I should really be responsible for the sin. I should really be responsible for by the, of the offense. But God says, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to take your offense, your sin, the things that you're guilty for. I'm going to take them. I'm putting them on my account. And what's on my account, holiness and goodness and righteousness, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it on your account. You couldn't get that on your own, but I intervened. Yes, and reconciliation can happen. God always mixing the first move. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, and I'm, I'm, I'm just not getting through what I hoped I'd get through, but that's, it's okay. I got weeks. Adam and Eve in the beginning, yeah, what, messed up in the garden, we would say? Huh? Normally stepped over a line that was drawn in the sands of the garden. Uh, do not partake over the, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And so when they do, and they did, they become what? They become offenders. Offenders to God. They offended God. Whew. Folks, this is powerful to me. But when you read the story of Genesis 3, around verses 8 and 9, you have the offenders over here that sewed fig leaves together because what are they dealing with? Their guilt. God and shame and they start to hear God's voice in the garden they go hide behind some trees why they're dealing with the offense that they did but what's happening here's what we got to realize in a moment here we have those that offended and you have this one who these that that offended and the one the offendee what happens he went looking for them he's the one that's been taken. He's the one that they didn't listen to. He's the one. He's the, he's the one that's been offended. But he's the one that's intervening and going to look for the offenders. Now, in our minds, we think, well, you know, we're like, well, bless God, they didn't do me right. They need to make things right. Don't usually work that way. You, the one that was hurt, usually has to be the one that forgives to make amends. He went looking for them. And note, the scripture says, and then he covered them. What they were dealing with was uh, inadequate. See, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it by themselves. Fig leaves were insufficient, but the one who had been offended covers. Whew. He covers them. See, we, here's, here's where we're at in society today, and I'll come to a close. When we talk about guilt today, there's so much talk in modern day society of, you know, you're doing, that's, you shouldn't feel like that, unnecessary guilt. We're, we're, we, we, in today's society, we can, it's like we've totally written off the idea of feeling guilt. No one should feel any guilt. Well, God help me. Well, that really wasn't your fault. Nobody wants anybody to feel guilty. Someone say Amen. So we write it off to this and we write it off. Nobody should, it should be guilty. No, no one can be legitimately guilty anymore. And so all of the murkiness of the water, though, has caused us to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater, right? And everybody, I believe, understands that terminology. If you don't, real quick, side story, the baby in the bathwater is a real thing. Grandma McGee still practiced it. They'd use the same bathwater for everybody that was getting washed up. That's the way it was when we went to Grandma McGee's. Us kids go over there, you always wanted to be the first one in. 
If you was last, you was last after three other people's using the same bath water. Well, they always use the same bath water. After a while, it got dark and cloudy. So throwing the baby out with the bath water was the virtue of using the same water. If the baby was last, you might not see that a baby's in the water and throw it out with the bath water. And so what I'm saying with the murkiness of all this guilt stuff, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because we're not allowing anybody to be legitimately guilty when they should be. Mr. Robert Jeffers said it like this. He said, the main reason most people feel guilty is because, you ready for this? They're guilty. But people come to us about feeling guilt and what do we want to do? We want to allay the uncomfortable feeling they're dealing with because them feeling like that's making us feel uncomfortable. And we want to get rid of this comfort as soon as possible. So the best way we can do that is say, you're fine. When in reality, they're not. Woo. Well, God help us. Amen. Stand with me and I'll, I'll bring, her, bring her to a close, but we're far from finished. Making sense out of forgiveness. First John 1 9 says, and we'll we'll well, let's not go to first John. Let me finish up Adam and Eve here. I don't know if we'll get to first John. <laughs> Sorry, Brother Mason. Because Adam and Eve, when they saw that they were naked, again they hid from God because they were guilty. And putting on their fig leaves, making their aprons, was again a testament. They were guilty, right? Because they're looking at themselves now and they're naked and ashamed rather than naked and not ashamed. They're guilty. And somewhere along the line, whenever Christ provided the coverings, they then had to admit through accepting them, through accepting them, that they lacked sufficient covering themselves. They were guilty. They had to realize they needed an intervention. The Bible says, I'll go to Acts 11 first here. Brother Mason didn't mean to skip around on you. No, I'm, I, I'm trying to close. Peter's addressing the church, the Jerusalem church. He's addressing the Jews. And he says in verse 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted operative word there, granted repentance unto life. Peter is talking to the Jews about the Gentiles. He's talking to them about what's happened to them. And what it comes to find out, hey, Gen hey Jews, the Gentiles have, have received, the experienced the like gift as we did. Speaking of the Holy Ghost, they received it just like we did. And he also says then that God also to the Gentiles has granted, operative word, granted repentance unto life. He also indicates that God granted repentance to the Gentiles just like he had granted it to the Jews as well. And so the concept is Jew, Gentile, all mankind, it matters not that God brings the intervention. God grants repentance. And whenever Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in Acts 2.38, we're able to do that because God has intervened and granted the possibility for us repenting. And it should happen. And what was that for? For the remission or the removal, that along with baptism, for the remission, for the removal of sin. Even as our early scripture told us, through his blood, the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In Luke 17, y'all doing okay? Yeah, you're doing great. In Luke 17, Jesus told his disciples, he's, he's speaking in the story. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, if your brother... If your brother repents, this is what he told him. He says, then you should forgive. That's his plain words in the first few verses of Luke 17. If your brother repents, then you should forgive. And I know with certainty, because the servant's not any greater than their master, that God wasn't holding them to a greater standard than what he had held himself. That if they repent, then you should forgive them. Let's go to 1 John. I, I got a good stopping point. I really do. It's just about there. In 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The efficiency, the effectiveness of our confession and of our repentance is tied 
to Christ's sacrificial death that took place on the cross. It's tied, the efficiency of our repentance is tied to his intervention. Christ died, Romans 5, 6 tells us that Christ died, listen to it now, for the ungodly. Now here, this is real simple and it might be a little weird, but bear with me, I'm weird sometimes. He died for the ungodly. So if you classify yourself something different, he didn't die for you. What's that mean? We're all ungodly. What's that mean? We got to all own our guilt that accompanies being ungodly. You got to crawl underneath the label of being ungodly to be among the ones that Christ died for. Granted forgiveness or repentance to. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is understanding the need of our guilt. Two things. Why Christians in particular should be, should be prone to forgive, understanding that we were guilty and understanding that we had to have intervention. And we can take that our, between our relationship between us and him and then apply the same principle and understanding then with those things that need forgiveness between our fellow mankind. And it's not the last thing <laughs> that we know that helps us in our forgiveness. We'll talk more about that next week. So making sense out of forgiveness, bitterness and forgiveness. Don't arbor feelings of unforgiveness. I, I say that, I know it sounds like a command, but it's really, I'm, I'm trying to urge us. I know we do. We all have at times in our life, we have. But you don't want to carry on a regular lifestyle of that. Amen. It brings separation. It brings a lot of other things. Amen. That in the end, yes, defile many, but it also defiles the one that's holding it. You've set yourself in prison, so to speak. Amen. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for your word that is alive and it's real and it's applicable. It's relevant, Lord Jesus, to our lives. God, it's in these scriptures, it's in these words and the epistles of the Ephesians, God, that you're teaching a church how to live, how to contend with the feelings, with the wrongs, the offenses. God, how to bring back, Lord, relationships and how to let go, Lord, of getting even, Lord Jesus, and dissipating, God, voices that are loud and slanderous words that are spoken. I pray, oh God, today we need that for the keeping of the unity of the church. We need that, Lord, for the connectivity of the church and for other connections, Lord, that are still yet to come. I pray, oh Lord, continue to teach us. Give us minds and teachable spirits, Lord God, to accept it into our lives. And we'll not fail to thank you for it in Jesus' name that we pray. And the church say amen. Amen. God bless you this morning in Jesus' name. We got church tonight. Church at 6, come and be a part. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.